I'm Carson Horn, and it's Monday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Life comes at you fast, and it'll humble you in a heartbeat. Auburn basketball learned that this week. They broke the three-game losing streak and dominated Alabama only to turn around and get blown out at Florida on Saturday. We'll try to make sense of it all. Welcome in, everybody, to Talking Tumors on this rainy and nasty Monday morning here in Auburn, Alabama. We'll talk about Auburn basketball this past week and what it what it means moving forward. There's a huge week of games, both at home this week for Auburn basketball as well. We'll dive into previews of both of those. We've also got to talk a little bit about Auburn football as they inch closer to spring practice beginning. It's crazy to think that Spring practice is already just a couple weeks away, but that is the case. We'll dive in a little bit into that, and we'll preview Auburn baseball. Their season begins this weekend. There is so much going on. Spring is absolutely insane for sports, so we've got plenty to talk about. So let's dive in now, starting with Auburn basketball. So let's start with the good and then go to the bad. We'll start with Wednesday night's game against Alabama. Auburn won that game 99-81. It was a hot start by both teams to this game. It was really fun to watch there, really in the first 10 minutes of this game, just back and forth, back and forth. Auburn dominated the paint throughout the whole game. Alabama had no answers. They started with a smaller lineup. They put Ryland Griffin, who's more of a guard, at the four, and that did not work out well defensively. For Alabama, Auburn and Jalen Williams especially took advantage of that matchup. Bama went bigger and had a little bit more success, but really not much. Auburn continued to get what they wanted to in the paint. So Jalen Williams finished with 26 points in the game. He had 17 in the first half. Janai Broom ended up with 24 points. And Auburn eventually settled in on defense after Bama's hot start, as I mentioned. Auburn went on to run. Bama cut into it to retook the lead there late in the second half, but then Auburn got on another run to close the first half and then didn't look back. It was a huge stop by Katie Johnson on Mark Sears right before half. Neville Arena went crazy. Mark Sears did not even get a shot off to close the half, and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Auburn took over and didn't look back. It was an Ugly, ugly second half, though. And really, you could argue that it it kind of began there in the the back half of the first half with the fouls. There are tons and tons of fouls in this game. And no matter if you're a fan of Auburn or Alabama, it was not fun to watch that second half. The game took over two and a half hours to be played because of all the fouls. And I'm not saying that the officiating was necessarily wrong. I think both teams were fouling a lot. I think especially Alabama was in the paint because they were struggling to defend and, and then Auburn is always handsy, especially with their guards. And so I think that that caused some fouls and Bama was trying to get to the basket. So in total, Auburn shot 50 free throws in the game. Alabama shot 35. And so the pace of the game, which is tough. But, but Bama was ever, was on, the closest Alabama got was within 11 points, I believe, in the second half. It kind of reminded you of the first time around. Uh, in this game when Auburn was playing in Tuscaloosa the way the way it was at halftime. I think same difference in the two games, but 
Auburn came back in Tuscaloosa. Alabama was not able to do so against Auburn. That's, that was a big deal for Auburn to be able to to close that game. It was huge also for Auburn to break the streak. I mentioned going into this game, Auburn lost three straight against Alabama, gotten swept last season. So it was important to to get this win from a rivalry standpoint, but also for the SEC. If Auburn lost that game to Alabama, it would have put you two games back against Alabama. You you wouldn't have that one and one split. It it would have been very detrimental to Auburn's hopes when the SEC more than likely would have completely ruled out the the possibility for Auburn to win. But with that being said, as exciting as Wednesday night was for Auburn fans, as big of a deal as it was to get that win, Auburn knew and I and I mentioned it on on last week's show that, that Saturday was going to be a tough game. That Florida is a good basketball team. Of course, Ty Golden, former Bruce Pearl assistant understands Bruce Pearl's system, understands how he works. He has uh, recruited very well down there in just his second year at, at Florida. He's got a talented team. And again, we all know Auburn's history. Have not won in Florida since 1996. Auburn went down there hoping to break the streak. Instead, Florida gave them everything they wanted and more. Auburn <laughs> was down near 30 points at one point. They did cut this cut this lead, which helped them in their analytics. That was a good thing, but there obviously no moral victories here. But Auburn did lose 81-65 to to Florida. By far, in my opinion, the worst loss of the season for Auburn. Before then, I would say the worst loss was at App State, where it was just an ugly, ugly offensive game for Auburn. But they had a chance to win that game nonetheless. They never had a chance to win this one from start to finish. Florida dominated. And it was the same issues for Auburn that have, have plagued them all year uh, on the road it, it is what I'm, what I'm talking about here. Poor shooting and turnovers. Shot 3 of 17 from 3, had 15 turnovers. Auburn's guards were horrendous in this game. They absolutely got dominated by Florida's guards, who, who are good players. But nonetheless, Auburn has to have better production from their guards. And then Florida took away... Janai Broom and Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams got a lot of looks. He was 3 from 10 from the field, so he had opportunities to score. And usually a lot of those looks he will make, but Florida had better size there, and they were able to limit Auburn's front court. And if you can do that, if Auburn's guards do not step up, then you're going to have a chance to, to beat Auburn. So moving forward, Auburn's guards have to play better in games where the front court is limited. They did not do that. But also another thing that uh, stood out to me about this game was was Auburn's defense. They gave up 81 points. Now, that's actually under Florida's average for points per game. But that was because Florida did not make a field goal in the final nine minutes of the game. So again, the stats are a little bit skewed. If you look at overall shooting percentage, Auburn actually shot at a higher percentage than Florida in this game. Florida actually shot under under their typical uh, three points made per game and typical three-point percentage per game. But again, it is skewed. That wasn't really the case. Auburn just held them in check in the final nine minutes when it no longer mattered, when the game was completely out of reach, but that was what was surprising because Auburn's defense, especially Auburn's guards, have defended really well. They defended well against Alabama. They forced 15 Alabama turnovers. I forgot to mention that when breaking down that game. So they have played consistently well this season, better than I expected them to be this year, quite frankly, going into this season. But that was not the case on Saturday. Uh, And then, of course, Florida forced 
six uh, forced um, had 16 points off of turnovers, had 14 second chance points. Auburn turned it over 15 times, as I mentioned. Just not good enough. Not good enough to win anywhere against any team, especially not a team with the talent that Florida has. They can make you pay for that. And then Auburn only forced one turnover. Again, this is a team that is typically very good at forcing other other teams to turn the ball over, and Auburn thrives on points in transition. And that did not happen on Saturday. They really did not do anything anything well. I think the the only two players who who could say they had pretty solid games were Katie Johnson and, and Chaney Johnson. And and I'll say this about Katie: Katie typically thrives in these type of situations where there is no offense and where you really have to go ISO. But where he thrives is in situations where Auburn is really struggling. He can help you get back into games when when you're struggling shooting like this. But Auburn is best when the ball is being distributed, where no one is really just completely taking over the game, where the offense is spread out. And that was not the case on Saturday. Give Florida plenty of credit. Now, what were the reasons for, for this? I know Auburn fans are sick and tired of Auburn continuing to struggle on the road continuing to play this poorly on the road. They showed at Ole Miss that it is possible for them to shoot well on the road to be able to score a lot of points and to play well. It is possible. It doesn't mean it is easy. I think a lot of things about this matchup were not good for Auburn. One, Auburn was coming off an emotional game Wednesday night against Alabama. Two, Florida was coming off a bye week. So obviously the the energy benefited Florida being at home coming off a bye week. Now, that's not an excuse. If Auburn wants to make a run in March, if they want to make a run in the SEC tournament, they have to figure out how to play on back-to-back days. There are going to be emotional days, emotional games that you're going to have to respond and be able to play the next day. So that's not an excuse, but it certainly could have played a reason into, into Auburn's poor performance there on the road. But for me, it comes back to Auburn's guard play. If Auburn's going to make a run in March, Auburn's guards have to play better than they did. They cannot turn the ball over. They have to get the offense going. They have to be able to knock down shots. They have to be able to win one-on-one matchups, and that did not happen. Your hope would be, if you're an Auburn fan, is to not face a team that can limit your front court, that being Jalen Williams and Janai Broom. There are not going to be many teams in college basketball that are going to be able to stop Janai Broom and Jalen Williams. Florida was able to do it. They're one of few teams that have been able to to do that this season. But if you do run into a team like that, if Auburn's guards do not play better, Auburn's going to be out. And that could come in any round. It could come in the round of 32. It could come in the round of 60, around a 64 in the NCAA tournament. If you what happens if you match up with Florida in the second round, the SEC tournament? It those type of things Auburn has to figure out moving forward. Now I will say. Auburn's metrics hardly changed at all after this loss. And that's a and that's good news for Auburn as far as NCAA tournament seeding and, and all that and goes to show again. I know that you're tired of hearing it. I know his fans are tired tired of hearing it, but it is hard to win on the road. Tennessee, for example, lost by the same margin at Texas A&M on Saturday. Tennessee is my favorite to win the SEC as I said last week. So it happens. The key is to be able to to find more consistency on the road, to not be so Jekyll and Hyde as far as home versus away. That's going to be the key for Auburn moving forward. Now, I will say some positive is neutral side, Auburn has actually played very well. So I don't think it's necessarily just outside of Neville's causing issues. I do think it is more of a road-specific issue. 
can Auburn figure this out for the rest of the SEC play? We'll see. Good. Another positive is Auburn really only plays two more truly tough road games, in my opinion. At Tennessee, going to be extremely difficult, and at Georgia. Tennessee, probably a loss. Georgia could be a loss if Auburn plays like they did against Florida in that game. The other road game left is at Missouri. That game, you don't win that game. A lot, lot bigger issues at play. Missouri is horrendous. So that is the positive. So I will say just trying to give a more optimistic spin on it. Yes, Auburn has to address these issues. Yes, they have to figure out how to be more consistent away from home because they are a completely, completely different team outside of Neville Arena, and, and that is an issue. They they have to find more consistency, but I think really in this game it had more to do with Florida being able to take away Auburn's front court and then their guards not stepping up. So, yes, if you go back to concerns about this team for me moving forward, it is absolutely the guard play. The teams that go the furthest in March typically have really good guard play. Unlike last year where Auburn, it was what it was from the guards. Auburn's guards have the potential, they've shown that, to play at a really high level. Trey Donaldson has played at a high level this year. He played extremely poorly Saturday. Denver Jones and Katie Johnson have shown the ability to play at a really high level. They didn't on Saturday. Well, Katie did. Denver did not. There has to be consistency there from them, and they have to play well moving forward for Auburn if it wants to reach the level that it can to reach its full potential this season. And we'll see if that happens. When we return, we will dive into the week ahead for Auburn at South Carolina and at Kentucky. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Auburn basketball has two huge home games this weekend. This week against two of the top teams in the SEC First on Wednesday night against South Carolina, who is currently tied for first place. And then on Saturday at home as well against Kentucky College Game Day. We'll be here on Saturday for that one. So it's going to be a fun week in Neville Arena. The jungle will be rocking for both games. And if Auburn wants to stay alive in this SEC race, both of these games are must win against two good opponents. The Alabama win afforded Auburn that loss on on Saturday against Florida. If Auburn had won that game against Florida, they would have been in exceptional shape to at least get a share of the SEC. Now they're in decent shape, not as good, not as good as they could have been, but they're still okay. As long as they win both of these games this week, they're they're going to be just fine as far as the SEC race, in my opinion, continues to to shape out. But with that being said, let's dive into this South Carolina game. South Carolina has been a great story this year in college basketball, in the SEC. An unexpected great great season for them to be tied for first place in the SEC at this point it is phenomenal for Lamont Paris and his, his staff there in just their second year in Columbia. And I want to mention this. So at SEC, I went to SEC tip-off, which is SEC basketball media days, and, and I went there and I listened to Lamont Paris fuss about where his team was slotted in the SEC in preseason rankings, and I thought, well, you're, you were pretty bad last year. I don't understand, you know, what, what you're so angry about. Well, it seems like his team funneled that, the, uh, that motivation in the correct way, and they have played extremely, extremely well this year. 
they're led by their defense. Their defense is only allowing 64 points per game. That is good for eighth in the country, one of the top defenses in the SEC. And they don't beat themselves. When you look at their their analytics, their stats, there's nothing they're exceptional at, but they're good in a lot of categories. So they play good team basketball. They play together, and they force other teams to beat themselves. And that is that is easier said than done, but this South Carolina team has absolutely done that. This year they do not turn the ball over uh, much, and they don't turn other teams over, which is another shocking stat if for to be as good of a defensive team as they are they really do not force many turnovers but they force teams to take tough shots they force a lot of contested threes and that works to their advantage as far as their offense goes that their strength would be their three-point shooting again they're nothing they're exceptional at but they do have guys who can get hot from three and if they do get hot from three they can become very very dangerous their key players on on offense, it starts with Michi Johnson, their guard. He's averaging 14 points per game, a very good player. Again, South Carolina averages 73 points per game. Michi Johnson gets 14 of that on average. And then as far as their interior players go, B.J. Mack, you might remember him. He's been a good big in this league, good forward for South Carolina. He's a good defender as well. Could be a, could be a matchup to watch with him in the paint against Jalen Williams and Janai Broom. He averages 13.6 points per game. And then the shooters that I was mentioning, that starts with Talon Cooper, who is shooting 46% from three. Auburn absolutely has to limit him on Saturday. And then Miles Studi, he has shown the ability to get hot from three in the past against Auburn. He shoots 40% from three. And then a freshman star who is Colin Murray Boyles, who had 31 points against Vanderbilt Haddock had really a you could call it a coming out party but he has played really well all year for the Gamecocks and he really shined against Vanderbilt so their front court and their guards again just a solid team all around if you had to label a star on this team then you would go with Meech Johnson but again it is a it is well distributed across uh, their whole roster and everyone contributes in a big way it it in ways reminds me of this uh, Auburn basketball team and the fact that they are they do spread it around that there's not just a star that that is necessarily leading them that they play well together as a team but they're also a, they play a different style of, of basketball but again they rely on their defense if they can keep you in the 60s they feel really good about their chances to win they did that for I believe uh, eight straight games and they're coming off a um, a win this past weekend, again, to stay in first place in the SEC. So what are the keys against this South Carolina team? Like I mentioned already, South Carolina is not going to beat themselves, so Auburn has to play clean. That has typically not been an issue inside Neville Arena. I think Auburn only had five turnovers against Alabama, which is very, very good. Again, South Carolina does not typically turn you over, but if you do, turning over against them, that gives them an advantage that they do not need as they're already going to force tough shots. So Auburn has to hunt good looks. Look for a good shot. Do not throw up contested threes early in the shot clock. Play through your front court. If open shots happen to be there, then you take them from three. But again, play through the front court. Now, South Carolina, 
Are they going to be good enough to slow down Janai Broom and Jalen Williams? They might be. So Auburn is going to have to knock down shots uh, this weekend. As for on Wednesday night, as for the defense, don't let them get hot from three. That's going to be key. And a lot of their games, they have been able to build leads early just from getting hot from three. Watching the Georgia game this past weekend, they they got off to a hot start. Miles Sudi really got to shooting well from three and allow South Carolina to build that lead. And then they could settle in on defense and just lock uh, you down for the rest of the game. So that's going to be crucial for Auburn to limit them three-point shooting. Look, I think this matchup favors Auburn, especially in Neville Arena. As long as, again, Auburn plays clean basketball, as long as they shoot decent in this game, shoot around their average from three, as long as Janai Broom and Jalen Williams each get their get their fair share inside the paint, I think Auburn's going to be fine. I think they'll win this game comfortably. But if they if they do shoot it extremely poorly, if you do play sloppy, South Carolina can absolutely make you pay and could pull off the upset. If this game is in the 60s in the final couple of minutes, then that's in a, a, a dangerous area for Auburn. For Auburn, you're playing into South Carolina's hands. So I think it's important in this game for Auburn to get off to a hot start offensively to set the tone early, get the Neville Arena crowd into it, and, and and roll on from there. Do not let South Carolina get momentum, get hot, get off to a big lead, and then try to fight your way back. It's not gonna not not that it's impossible, but it could put you in a tough position against a team that is really, really good defensively. So that is Wednesday night. So that is a tough game on Wednesday night. But then you've got to turn around and you've got to welcome one of the best offensive teams in the country in Kentucky to Neville Arena on Saturday. As I mentioned, College Game Day will be there. This is a 5 p.m. tip on ESPN. Kentucky is coming off three straight home losses. Not consecutively, but they have lost three straight games at home. They'll play at home again against Ole Miss on Wednesday or Tuesday, I believe, before traveling to Auburn to face the Tigers on Saturday. Their offense is incredible. That has not been the issue with this team. They are averaging 89.5 points per game. That is good for number three in the country. They shoot 41% from three as a team, just an astronomical percentage. But as good as their offense is, equally as bad. That is their defense. Their defense is one of the worst in the country, and that's why they have four conference losses at this point. That is why they've lost three straight games at home because they cannot stop anyone. If they can get their defense figured out, they are going to be an extremely dangerous team, and they could cause problems and can absolutely pull off the upset against Auburn on Saturday because of their offensive threat. So I'm really intrigued to see Auburn's defense against this Kentucky offense. Again, I thought Auburn defended Alabama well. They're going to have to defend Kentucky similar similarly. What do I mean by that? I mean run them off the three-point line. Kentucky has shooters. They are um, these are the these are the percentages from three. Antonio Reeves is their leading scorer. He has twenty points per game. He shoots forty-five percent from three. Rob Dillingham, guard that comes off the bench right now for Kentucky, is averaging fifteen points per game. from three. Reed Shepard, 12.4 points per game, 52% from three. You cannot let them get good looks from the three-point line. Force them off the three-point line. And if they do take threes, they have to be contested. They want to get out in transition. So again, 
Turnovers are going to be crucial. Have to play clean. This is not a good defensive team, but if they get, they can turn you over. They can get out in transition. They can hit transition threes. If they can get to the basket, they want to play at a fast pace. That will play right into their hands and give them a good chance at pulling off the, the upset. As for Auburn offensively, they're going to get good looks. They, again, this is a bad defense. They're going to get good looks. You have to make have to make shots, especially from three. In the paint could be a little bit more difficult. Kentucky is averaging blocking six shots per game. That's one of uh, the best in the country as far as blocks per game uh, go. They have two really good big men, Aaron Bradshaw and Adu Thiero. Both guys in the paint can cause issues for Auburn. So how will Janai Broom, Jalen Williams, will they be able to, to find, find their way in the paint? We'll see. So I think the key key offensively is going to be like it like it will be against South Carolina is going to be making three pointers, making open shots. Again, that doesn't mean that you don't try to go through the front court. I do think scoring in the front court though will be more difficult because of the size that Kentucky has there. And then Trey Mitchell is another one that I have not mentioned. Transfer that came in from West Virginia. He is their best defensive player. We'll see where he gets matched up on. My guess will be Jalen Williams. He averages 12.3 points per game on offense, but he is their best defender. So we'll see the the matchup he gets. But I think this is going to be a a big game for Auburn's guards. They're at home, so I like that matchup for, for, for Auburn much more than you'd obviously like it in Rupp. But Auburn's guards are going to have to play really well defensively. They're going to have to give max effort on that end, and then they're going to have to be able to create on the offensive end, they're going to have to make shots. They're going to have to make things happen because I do think Kentucky has the ability, at least, to limit Auburn's uh, front court to a certain extent. So I mentioned in the, in the first segment, Auburn's guards have to step up. They have to play well. They're going to be tested this week. They could be tested some on Wednesday night. I think they really will be tested on Saturday. They were tested against Alabama to a certain extent, but they didn't have to score because of Janai Broom and Jalen Williams. They might have to play defense and score on Saturday against Kentucky. Huge, huge week for Auburn basketball. You win both these games, you're in good position to have a chance to, to get at least a share of the SEC title. Because more than likely you're losing at Tennessee, but if you can win these two games, lose at Tennessee, win the rest, you probably get a share of the SEC title. If you lose one of these games at home, more than likely, barring pulling off them, an incredible run to close out the regular season, pulling off an upset at Tennessee, probably not going to win a share of the SEC, at least regular season title. So huge, huge games. Again, great that they're in Neville Arena. I'm really looking forward to it again. I'm looking forward. It's fun. It, yes, it's tough games. Yes, it's intense games. But you you wouldn't want to have it any other way to, except to watch really, really good basketball teams play th- this week. And so I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun to watch, and we'll have plenty, I'm sure, of breakdown and thoughts of these two games this this um, on next week's show. I'm, I think Auburn will win both games, but they absolutely will have to play at a high level in both to pull off the wins. Alrighty, when we return, we will ship gears to Auburn baseball and its season this weekend at home against Eastern Kentucky. Coming off what was last year yet another successful season for Butch Thompson and his Auburn Tigers. 
after what was a slow start to last season, they really turned it on and had a really strong finish to the year. And this season, I think this Auburn team has yet another chance to be a really good team. The thing about it is the SEC is absolutely loaded. Like always, there are a lot of really, really good teams in the conference. This is the last year of SEC baseball in this current format before Texas and Oklahoma join next year. There's a lot of talent returning for this Auburn baseball team, which is a big reason why I think this team can be really special this season. And they brought in, like always, a really a top 10 recruiting class, a top 10 transfer portal class. So they brought in some really talented players as well. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the key losses that Auburn is going to have to work to replace this season, starting with center fielder Kaysen Howell. Five-year player was a staple for Auburn in the outfield. He will be missed. And then your infielders in Cole Foster and Bryson Ware at shortstop and third base. Two phenomenal players. Bryson Ware, just an incredible season last year at the plate. Two huge losses. Will not be able to make up the production of Bryson Ware at the plate with just one player. He was absolutely insane. Then you lost Justin Kirby, was a transfer from last year. And then Nate LaRue was never a very good hitter, but man, could he call a game. Was he exceptional behind the plate defensively? So Auburn will have to replace him. But along with key talent leaving, they've got plenty of key talent returning, starting with Ike Irish, who was first team SEC freshman last year, freshman All-American. He was preseason first-team SEC this year. He batted 361 last year. I think he had the uh, Auburn record for doubles last year in a season. Just a He was a five-star catcher, and he lived up to the expectations. We'll talk more about him in just a few minutes. Cooper McMurray, Auburn's first baseman, is returning. He had 272, 14 home runs last year, led the team in walks with 42. Then second base, you had Caden Green come in as a Juco transfer. He returns. Not a great hitter, but defense, he could actually be competing for his job to be able to keep that starting second base position this season, but he does return. Then you've got Chris Stanfield, another freshman standout from this Auburn team last year. He's going to move to center field. He batted 280 last year, nine stolen bases. Fantastic defensive player as well. Looking to see if he can add more more power. I think that's something that Gabe Gross, Gabe Gross, Auburn assistant and hitting coach, has talked about with Chris Stanfield, his ability to add a little bit more pop to his bat. He has that potential. We'll see how it goes. And then Auburn's best returning hitter next to Ike Irish is Bobby Pierce, the right fielder. Phenomenal player, veteran player. Big, big that he decided to return. Certainly someone who could have um, entered the MLB draft but decided to come back. Along with those players returning, most of your pitchers are returning as well. You got Chase Alsup coming back. You got Drew Nelson. You got Hayden Murphy. You uh, you got Zach Crotchfell. You've got a lot, a lot of guys. I could keep going on and on with the names there, but you get the picture. You only you lost both the Tommies and Tommy Vell and Tommy Sheehan, but for the most part, you returned every everyone else. So that is huge for for Auburn. Have some consistency there as far as the the pitchers go. Auburn does have to play Schoenrock as the pitching coach, so a new pitching coach moves in again. So you had Tim Hudson, you had Schoenrock, and now he's out. A new new pitching coach returns this year. But again, Bitch, uh, Butch Thompson is always involved in the 
uh, pitching staff, of course, as a former pitching coach himself. So he um, does provide that consistency, but Auburn did make some changes there. So what are the questions heading into this season for this Auburn baseball team? One, Joseph Gonzalez is back. If that name sounds familiar, it should. He was phenomenal two years ago, but he got injured. He only pitched in the opening series against Indiana last season before he was shut down. For the rest of the year, he's been working hard on his rehab over the last 12 months, and he is ready to get back get back to full speed. He was someone who was look, looked at after a sophomore year as potential to get drafted really highly in the MLB draft, and then, of course, injuries have plagued him since. But hopefully he can stay healthy this year. If he can, he goes back to more than likely being the ace for this Auburn staff this upcoming season. How good will he be, though? That is the real question coming off of the injury. Of course, you've got Chase Alsup, who was really good at times and really bad at times. Has electric stuff, has that fastball that sits in the mid-90s. He struggled, though, with some command. His development will be crucial. His consistency will be crucial for Auburn this season. And then, of course, who takes that third spot? I think that is wide open in the rotation. That might not be solidified until you get closer to conference play. Then I mentioned Nate LaRue moving on to the MLB. That leaves an opening at catcher. Ike Irish was a five-star catcher. However, Nate LaRue was so good behind the plate. Ike Irish DH last season. He is expected to be behind the plate this year. But you've got Carter Wright also returning at catcher. And then you've got Strickland coming in, the freshman uh, catcher that could play some too. So I expect Ike Irish, though, to be the guy behind the plate. But I think you'll see a decent bit of Carter Wright maybe to allow Ike Irish to rest his legs some and allow him to still DH. But I would expect him behind the plate in this season. But then how do you replace, as I mentioned, Kaysen Howell, Cole Foster, and Bryson Ware? The short answer is you can't. Those guys were staples for this Auburn baseball program. They were phenomenal players. But you got to do the best you can. You've got talent, as I mentioned, returning. You've got talent coming in. For starters in center field, as I mentioned, Chris Stanfield's going to move over to center. He'll do a fantastic job in center field. He's a great defensive player. Looking forward to watching him kind of be the, the boss of the outfield out there. At shortstop, my best guess would be Cooper Wise. You may be asking, well, who's that? Well, he is a transfer from Miami, Ohio. He was the MAC Conference Defensive Player of the Year last season. He hit 303. If he can come in and put up those numbers, can play the level of defense he played last season at Miami, Ohio, Auburn will be in, in, a, in good shape at that position. At second base, at third base, excuse me, uh, to replace Bryson Ware, I think you'll have another transfer in Javon Hernandez. He hit 307 last year at Jacks, uh, 397. Excuse me, at Jack State last season. Would expect that average to come down some in SEC play, but that is a that was a big pickup in the portal for Auburn, especially when you got someone in state like that to be able to get them. Auburn's had a lot of success with these smaller in-state school transfers. You think back to to Sonny Deshera two years ago. Auburn will hope to have some of the same success with Hernandez, that I expect him to play at third base, but you've also got Brody Moss and Gavin Miller, two infielders returning. That could play second. That could play third base as well. And then at second base, you've got um, Caden Green uh, that is returning. But again, Hernandez could play second as well. 
Uh, he can play third. He can play second. And then you've got uh, Derek uh, Fabian, who is a transfer from Florida. He could play second. He could play third. So you've got a lot of options there for guys. Fabian played everywhere. He's played outfield. He's played everywhere in the infield. He's a utility guy, so he'll play second. He'll play third. We'll see where Auburn feels like he fits best. Again, a Florida transfer just could never find uh, you know his rhythm there in Gainesville. He hopes to have better success here uh, at Auburn. So really, really looking forward to this team this year and looking to see how they grow again. There's going to be question marks. There's going to be ups and downs. Always figuring out your rotation is key early in the year. Before you get into SEC play, you want to kind of have that solidified. Last year, Auburn really didn't. It took the first couple series of SEC play were brutal. It was, man, is this, this Auburn team is just, this is going to be just a rough year. But then all of a sudden, they got hot. They finished the year strong, made it to Omaha yet again. So it was a, it was a really good year for Auburn last season. They're predicted to finish fifth in the SEC West. That, that is how loaded this, this SEC is uh, this season. And, and as always, again, I think Auburn is a very good team. But again, the SEC is just absolutely stacked with really, really good baseball programs and baseball teams. And it is going to be a gauntlet this year in SEC play. And I don't think Auburn's schedule in SEC play is very easy. We'll talk more about that as the season rolls on, but I did want to get that preview out there before first pitch this weekend between Auburn and Eastern Kentucky. So I know there's a lot else you could be focused on. I know Auburn basketball still is rolling on, but I'd be paying attention to Auburn baseball. They're going to be a fun team to watch this season, I I believe. So with that, we will move to our third sport in our final segment. We'll talk about Auburn football and some of the recent happenings that have occurred there. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Auburn football's 2024 staff is finally complete, I believe. (laughs) We we thought it was complete uh, about a week or so ago, and then Jeremy Garrett, or I guess two weeks ago now, Jeremy Garrett ended up leaving Auburn to become the defensive line coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But now, I believe it, it is finally complete. A lot more staff turnover than we originally thought. I, I still think back to the bowl game when, when Hugh Freeze was asked, like, oh, you know, it's got to be a great deal that, you know, you got so much consistency. Your staff's going to be returning next year and, you know, all this and that. And I, I'm sure Hugh Freeze knew at that point that that wasn't going to be the case. But, you know, he had to answer the question and he did. So, yeah, that that was great. And, you know, it's a big deal and, and, and all this. But he knew changes were going to be made. He knew changes needed to be made. And they were. And so Auburn did have a good a good amount of, of staffers and coaches return, but they also made quite substantial changes, as we know, making a change to offensive and defensive coordinator. You kept your wide receivers coach. You got a Cadillac Williams and Zach Etheridge are gone. We don't have to rehash it all. But the question is, did Auburn's football staff improve from last year? I think that is to be determined. We have to see how the season plays out to a certain extent. We have to see how things click on the recruiting trail. I think from a recruiting standpoint, I think you could actually argue that Auburn may have gotten better with the hires of Derek Nix and DJ Durkin and, um, as your coordinators. I, I Phil Montgomery nor Ron Roberts were involved very much in recruiting, and that was somewhat intentional. Hugh Freeze wanted to play a big role in that. He's hoping with these hires 
with with uh, Derek Nix, especially that he can take a little bit less of time recruiting. I do think Zach Etheridge was a big loss as far as a recruiter goes. I think Etheridge was a phenomenal recruiter. Cadillac was at one time a very good recruiter, didn't seem to be as much here uh, of recent. So I think uh, from that standpoint, Auburn improved on field is to be determined. Jeremy Garrett, I, I don't think that you're going to find a, a better coach than, and recruiter than he was along the defensive line, so I do think that is a huge loss. I'll, I'll talk about his replacement here in just a second. But I think on field, we talked about it before, but I think Hugh Freeze certainly valued familiarity. He valued culture. He valued recruiting. And I think he thinks this staff fits better. It's not that Philip Montgomery and Ron Roberts are bad coaches. It just sometimes it doesn't work out. Like I said, I think Ron Roberts did a good job as defense coordinator, especially with the level of talent on Auburn's defense last season. I think Ron Roberts did a really good job. But he didn't mesh. He didn't mesh with what Hugh Freeze wants from uh, his his coaching staff and from his program. And so it, it was time to move on and look for someone else who did. And that's why it did surprise me a little bit that Hugh Freeze hired DJ Durkin because I really thought Freeze would go with someone who he had a little bit more experience with as defensive coordinator. Someone like maybe a Chris Kiffin was mentioned as a possible candidate but he decided to go with, with DJ Durkin, someone he's never coached with, but does have plenty of SEC experience, that does have a lot of recruiting success, and I think is a very, very good coach. So that did surprise me. It didn't really, I thought that hire was a little bit of an outlier compared to the rest of the hires that Hugh Freeze made when you think about the Derrick Nicks and the Wesley McGriff. I, Charles Kelly, Hugh Freeze did not have experience with, but I do think he was familiar with with him, of course, Charles Kelly being an Auburn guy, I think played a role in that. But I did think that the the Durkin hire was was a bit of the the outlier for this cycle. But again, I think it, it is someone who has a chance to 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 be a good coordinator for Auburn. But the talent level has to improve, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, as far as what Auburn needs to do to improve along the defensive side before next season. And let's talk about, though, the most recent hire, and that was promoting Fontrell King-Williams to become the defensive tackle coach. They're not full-on defensive line. A change that is being made is Josh Aldridge, who was the linebacker's coach, is moving to coach the outside linebackers, the edge position, the defensive end position, whatever you want to call it. It's all in one at this point. So he's moving to coach that position, and DJ Durkin is going to coach the inside linebackers. Josh Aldridge has been better than anyone could have anticipated, just to sing his praises for one minute here. He has recruited at a phenomenal level, getting Joe Phillips, uh, getting DJ Barber, uh, especially uh, bringing in this uh, this, uh, linebacker class, Jamonte Waller, really has been impressive. I think he's got an extremely bright future could certainly be a coordinator at Auburn elsewhere very, very soon. So really, really good job that he he has done coaching and developing. I mean, what he has gotten out of Eugene Asante, extremely impressive. I cannot say enough about Josh Aldridge and the coach that he is. Every one of those guys that Hugh Freeze brought from Liberty, I know it's not popular. It wasn't popular last season when you bring guys with you from a smaller school that haven't coached at a high level. But Hugh Freeze knew what he was doing. He knew the type of guys who were good enough to coach in the SEC. 
and the ones he had brought with him have proven that. I think in year one, Jeremy Garrett proved that when a lot of people weren't happy about that hire by after one year already off to the NFL. Josh Aldridge proved it by linebacker production and his recruiting. And um, so I, I, I really cannot say enough about him. But back to, sorry to get off on that that side note, but back to VKW, Von Charles King-Williams. Auburn could have gone elsewhere. Maybe they wanted to get Rodney Garner. I'm not sure who has been at Auburn before, who's now at Tennessee. But ultimately, Hugh Freeze landed on promoting Montreal King-Williams. There's positives and there, and there are negatives to that. Montreal King-Williams has plenty of familiarity with this Auburn defensive line and those players as an analyst. He, he's around them constantly. He was around them constantly last season. It helps you in recruiting. Absolutely, these, these defensive line commits. I mentioned four defensive line commits in the class of 2025. And those guys have relationships with VKW so if you're trying to avoid some decommitments, they still might happen one or two. It, it, it still could happen, absolutely. But it does benefit you that they they that someone that they're familiar with, that they have a relationship with, was promoted to the defensive line coach. On the flip side of that, it's not a splashy hire, and it's a little bit unknown of what you'll get as far as on-field coaching goes. This defensive line position is set to be the weakest position on the field for Auburn this upcoming season with just the talent that they have, so it's not necessarily the best situation that VKW is walking into when he takes over this uh, D-line room, but we'll see if he's up to the challenge to get the most out of it that he can. He does have on-field experience. He was a defensive line coach at, I believe, Eastern Michigan it was, or Eastern Kentucky, so he does have some experience on the uh, defensive line, but he, uh, this is obviously a big step up from, from where he was before as a D-line coach. But I'm looking forward to, to seeing how this works out. You always love for guys to be promoted that are, that are on your staff if they're up to the task. So we'll see how it all plays out in the upcoming year for Auburn. But overall, to answer the question, did Auburn staff improved? Good chance it did, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't think you can answer that, that question with any certainty until you see how the season plays out. I think Hugh Freeze, and he should believe that it has improved considering he decided to make those changes. And then before we get out of here, one hire that I believe has been big time overlooked is the hire of Will Redman. Now you may be like, who in the world is Will Redman? Well, he is a what they what is now considered a general manager in college football. He he was hired away from LSU, which is big in and of itself. He has some uh, experience working with Hugh Freeze before at Ole Miss and wanted to work with him again. Will Redman will essentially be able to handle some more of the behind-the-scenes stuff to take some of the stuff off of Hugh Freeze's plate because a lot of what a head coach in college football has to do now has nothing to do with actual football and actual coaching. That's the NIL era that we live in. I could talk about that for forever, but this is an Auburn show, and so we don't dive into that too much. But he will be able to handle some more of the behind the scenes of evaluating and recruiting, dealing with NIL, all the things that are that are headaches necessarily uh, in college football now. Will Redmond will take a lot of that off of Hugh Freeze's plate. So big time hire that will hopefully, in Hugh, you know, Hugh Freeze's eyes, allow him to spend more time on on coaching and maybe not having to deal with much of the the front office type of stuff now in in college football. So. Big hire that has been overlooked that should help this Auburn program out a lot moving forward. 
And with that, we will wrap up the show. We we talked about a lot today between Auburn basketball, Auburn baseball, Auburn football. Again, I didn't even dive into uh, Auburn gymnastics and Auburn softball. Uh, there there is a ton a ton going on. So make sure you're following me on social media at Talking Tumors. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back here again next Monday with plenty more to discuss, I am sure. Thank you for listening to Talking Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Monday at 10 for another. So make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com. And follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle, and see you next time.